Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and find the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the 15th chapter. And in the 15th chapter of Luke, Jesus tells three really cool stories. But he does it in answer to a real challenge. It reminds me a little bit of a grandma who was on the front porch with uh, her, her granddaughter, and they were talking about a member of their family. And uh, the, the granddaughter said, you know, Grandma, he, he's lazy. You can't trust him. He, he's, he makes a mess of everything he does. She says, I know, he's, he's a bad boy. Yeah, but Grandma, he just, he, he's, he, he's a mess. I know, honey, but, but Jesus loves him. Yeah, but, but Grandma, he, you don't understand. You can't count on him for anything. Well, I know, honey, but Jesus loves him. And she stopped for a minute and looked over, and she said, but then on the other hand, Jesus doesn't know him like we do, does he? <laughs> you ever felt that way? You ever had one of those days where you just, you just know you've made a disastrous mistake in your life? And you just think, okay, surely God is just thoroughly ticked off at me, and I, I don't, I don't want to deal, I just don't want to do it. I don't know anybody that wants a beating, do you? I mean, like when, when I know I've done something that's made a mess in my life, when I made a really poor decision, you know what the hardest part of the, of the decision is? Making it right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the hard part. And I don't know about you, but I have got a master's degree in epic failures. I mean, I, I know how to fail. I, I've, I've failed financially, I've failed in business, I've failed in ministry, I've failed some of you. I've, I mean, really, I know how to fail. I am good at it. I mean, are, aren't, are some of you like me? I mean, I, I know how to mess stuff up. Now, here's the good news. It's the best news that I can give you. God really does love you. As a matter of fact, he, he loves you no matter who you are, what you've done, how long you've done it, and he'll gladly forgive you and accept you if you'll come home to him. And we find in Luke chapter 15 the context behind all that. So in Luke 15, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Scripture says. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, speaking of Jesus, to hear him. Now, put that in context. We're talking about tax collectors and sinners. So in that day, what, what, what Luke is referring to is that all the people who were not doing things well, that had made poor decisions. Tax collectors would have been known as thieves and robbers and liars. Sinners would have been known as people who had done things wrong and broken the law. Okay, are you with me? So let's take a quick poll here. How many of you in the past seven days have lived perfectly? Okay, so in other words, he's talking about us. Right? So, the, so verse 1 could have said, then all the folks that came to Sugar Hill Church on Sunday morning drew near to him to hear him. Are you with me? Because they're talking about normal folks who've just made really some dumb decisions in their life. Maybe didn't follow the law and needed grace. Okay, so verse 2 says, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, whiners, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Scandalous. He's hanging out with normal people. They 
They drink too much. They eat too much. They steal. They lie. They, they do bad things. He hangs out with people like us. And the Pharisees, who are like the <clears throat> religious elite, <clears throat> they represent one guardrail in life that we'll refer to as the law. Their job was to make sure people followed the law. The law says this is what you got to do, you got to do. You got to wash your hands this way, you got to comb your hair this way, you got to dress this way. If you don't do those things, you are so busted and God's so ticked off at you, he's just going to beat the crud out of you. Okay, that's the law. Along comes Jesus with these three stories, and he's the other guardrail, which is grace. He says, wait a minute, I, I get it. You, you are all messed up folks, and you need a way to be in right relationship with God because he's perfect and you're not. So Jesus came along with grace that said, I'm going to forgive you even though I know you can't keep the law. And the Pharisees, who were all about the law, were like, you've got to keep the law. If you're going to come to church, you've got to dress this way. You've got to sing this way. You've got to act this way. You've got to talk that way. And Jesus comes along and hangs out with these people who were, who were just messed up. And the, and the religious people are going, he can't do that. But let me remind you, the Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. So he came and hung out with normal folk. So in that regard, to try to make sure that he understood that we would live rather than on the side of law and without so much grace that we would run free, God said, let's stay right in the middle here and let's complete the law with grace. And so he says, let me give you three stories. So he starts here and he says, so he spoke this parable to them in verse 3. And then verse 4 he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. And about that time, can you imagine what the Pharisees thought? What? You mean... You mean we're going to make a big deal about the guy who's blown it? The guy, the, guy, the drunk? The, 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 the guy, who, the guy who, who did everything wrong? The guy, the guy who just totally blew it? We're, we're going, that guy? We're going, the addict? We're going, we're going to, Jesus? You think it's a big deal for him? So clearly Jesus sees he, they don't get it yet. So he goes to story number two in verse eight. Or what woman having ten silver coins, some of your uh, versions say widow, or what woman, what widow, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, and remember, this is Jesus saying, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, now their mind equals blown. They are totally messed up. Wait a minute, Jesus, what we're supposed to do is when we find that person who blew it, we're supposed to throw rocks at them and cast them out because they are not good people. And Jesus says, no, wait a minute, you've missed it. We're supposed to go find those people and let them be found. So clearly Jesus knows they don't get it yet. So he goes to story number three in verse 11. And then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. 
And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So what he did was he said, Dad, I just can't wait for you to die. Let me have my inheritance now. So dad reluctantly gives it to him, and, and the son goes off and parties away everything he has. He totally blows it. He wastes it on everything that counted for nothing. Now, later in the story, what we find is that dude is so messed up, he winds up being without any money, without any friends, without any place to live, and the only place he's got is to feed pigs and be with pigs and eat the same thing the pigs eat. Gross. At that moment, he's hit the bottom of the barrel. At the bottom of the barrel is when the Pharisees want to step in and say, see, dude got what he deserved. And you know what? They'd be right. He, he asked for it and he got it. However, Jesus goes on and tells the rest of the story. And so if you'll look with me in verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and that's a good statement, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and a spare, and I perish with hunger. And then he starts rehearsing. This is what I'm going to tell dad when I go home. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet and bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and be merry and we're going to party. Now, I know. You're saying, Chuck, that... That makes no sense. But it does when you put it in the context of how Jesus taught it. In other words, Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees because he hung around normal, sinful people. The story of the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, Jesus is using these stories to say to you and I, listen, folks, I hang around with sinful people because God loves them and wants them to come home. You say, well, where do you get that? Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus here in these three stories shows us who God is and how he feels about us. In the first story, we are the sheep, he is the shepherd. In the second story, we are the coin, he is the woman. In the third story, we are the son, he is the father. Are you with me? And he tells this story to make sure he understands in these three stories that there are at least five ways we know God loves us. Five proofs that God loves us. Beginning with number one, God allows you to choose. God didn't make us robots. God didn't force us to do the right thing, act the right way, say the right things. You see it portrayed in the third story. Dad, go ahead and give me your portion of the inheritance. Or in a less polite terms, Dad, I just can't wait for you to die. I want everything now. I need everything now. I need to ring my credit up right now. I got to have everything right now. Right now, I got to know everything. This kid was probably about 16 years of age. When I was 16, like you, I knew everything. Didn't you? I mean, at 16, you knew everything. At 54, I am dumber than I've ever been in my life. But at 16, I knew everything. And so this kid, knowing everything, takes his money and blows it just like a kid who thinks he knows everything. 
And when he thinks, man, I'm in trouble here. What am I going to do? He finally gets it. And he leaves and he lives it up and he blows it all in the city. And I think what Jesus is trying to communicate in the story is this. Because God loves you, he will let you choose your way. God will let you choose to leave the reservation, leave his will, leave his desire for you, go live the way you want to. Because God loves you enough, he gives you a free will, and you get to go pick and live any way you want to. God respects your free will. He will not force himself or his will on you. He'll let you go your way, even if it's the wrong way. It's like a lady in Nebraska who's a school teacher. And a swindler came by and gave her this get-rich-quick scheme, and she invested all of her life savings into that get-rich-quick scheme. And over the matter of two months, she lost everything she had. She went to the Better Business Bureau, and she said, what do I do? And they said, ma'am, there's nothing we can do. You legally did this. Why didn't you come to us and ask us about this? Didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau before? She said, well, of course I did. And they said, well, why didn't you come ask us before you invested? And she said, because I knew you'd tell me not to. It's just like what God says. I can tell you what to do. I can tell you what not to do, but you get to pick. You choose. And the picture here is the boy chose. And like many of us, when he chose his way, he blew it. And he blew it big time. And he lost everything he had. You know, God could have made us that we would say all the things he wants us to to say and do all the things he wants us to do and be all the things, but... But out of respect for us, he lets us make our own choices in life, whether to have a love relationship with him or to live our lives apart from him. He lets us choose. So if you want to live a life apart from God, apart from his blessing, apart from his will, then God will honor that. I mean, I, I, I want to make sure you understand that. He, he, but he will not and he cannot take you to heaven if you don't choose him. In a world today where people who do what I do preach for a living, I'm supposed to tell you all the warm and fuzzy stuff about the Bible. But the story here really says that you have a free will and you can choose a relationship with Jesus and heaven, or you can choose and God will let you pick hell. I hear people say, well, God would never send me to hell. You're right. But he'll allow you to go. You pick. It's all on you. God loves you enough that you get to pick. G.K. Chesterton, a great theologian of days gone by, said, and I'll quote, hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human personality. You see, by letting people go to hell, God is saying, you are significant. I take you seriously. You choose to reject me, choose hell if you will, I'll let you go. You say, Chuck, normally you don't preach that way. Normally you give me fuzzies. Oh, well... Point two, not, not only does God let you choose, God values you. God values you. The way God values you is seen in all three of the stories. I mean, in the first story, the story of the lost sheep, you're likened to the sheep that a shepherd has lost. And you say, well, that's no big deal. Well, when we were in Israel uh, last week, we saw sh- literal sheep and shepherds. It's their life. To lose one would be a dreadful occasion. Of course they would leave and go get it. It means everything. You can picture in the story him finding the lost sheep, putting it over his shoulders, bringing it back and rejoicing. And I know what you're thinking, that's bad, but it's really not. <laughs> See, you were awake, weren't you? Yeah. And if, if you were asleep, you're saying, what I miss? Yeah. yeah. Every one of those sheep, prized and precious. You know what God's saying in story one? You, you are prized. You are precious. You, 
Your art is on Jesus' refrigerator. He, he longs for you. You know what he says in the second story, the lost coin. You're likened to a coin to a poor widow that she's lost. You are valuable. You are valuable. You are treasured by God. He values you. And in the third story, the story of the lost son, you're likened to a son who a father has lost. And if you're like me, I, if your kids are old enough, you've had kids who have gone awry, haven't you? I have. I, I, I can almost see the father in this story sitting on the front porch, sitting in the swing, looking down the road, longing for his kid to come back to the Lord longing for that kid to come down the road. I, I know what it's like to sit at home and wonder where your kid is at and if they're coming back to the Lord. And this picture is of a dad who sits there and looks down the road every day waiting for his boy to come home. And God's saying to you, you're as precious to him as a daddy who's lost a child. You know what I've noticed? When something is lost, it immediately becomes more valuable. You ever notice that? Are you like me? If you lose your phone, you feel like you've lost an appendage. I mean, say, so when I lose my phone, it's, I freak out completely. Jenny, call my phone. Where's my phone? Right? I mean, all of a sudden, it's more valuable, isn't it? When you've lost something, it's more valuable. A young woman was seeing a psychiatrist, and she was trying to figure out how to be a a great young single mom. She had three kids, and psychiatrist asked her, said, well, well, ma'am, do you, tell me, which of the three kids are your favorite? And she said, what all moms do. I love all my kids the same. He said, ma'am, that's impossible. It can't be done. Which kid is your favorite? She said, no, I, I love them all three. I love them all the same. And finally, the psychiatrist said, ma'am, listen to me. That is not true. You need to have this breakthrough in your life. Which of those kids do you love the most? She said, okay, fine, fine. She said, the kid that had his heart broke at school that day, I love him the most that day. The kid who has run away and has left the Lord and left my home, I, I love that kid that day. The one who pitched a temper tantrum and said, I don't love you anymore and broke my heart, I love that kid more that day. She said, but apart from that, I love all my kids the same. It's a picture of a father, God, who loves us. But the, the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son are a picture that when we are away from him, he even loves us more. I think some of us are scared to death to come home to God thinking he's going to beat the crud out of us. I, I remember when I would mess up. You know, you know what my dad loved to do? My dad loved to tell me how wrong I was. My dad loved wearing me out. And he would wear me out. But then I know what I'm, you know, remember my dad doing? I remember my dad grabbing me and saying, come on, boy. Let's just don't make that mistake again. And all was right. You know what God wants to do? He wants to do what that dad did. Can you imagine the context? A man in that day would have never run. A man of that stature would have never publicly been seen running. He would have never shown his legs. His robe would have been to the ground. He would have never done that. And he rolled that robe up and he sprinted toward his son with open arms, not with a pointed finger of guilt, but an open arm. And he said, 
Put the best clothes on my boy. Give him the ring. Put shoes on his feet. Put food in his belly. Let's have a party. We are celebrating the fact that he's come home. I told those kids we baptized, those five little children at at, at 9.30, today when you get baptized, heaven is pitching a party in your name. You know what? Listen, some of you today need to choose to come home and let heaven pitch a party in your name. And stop worrying that God's going to beat the crud out of you. No, he's going to welcome you and put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger and sandal on your shoes. And you know what he's going to say? Listen, I love you. Let's have a party. Come home. Third, you know what we know? God searches for you. Like that daddy did as he was looking. He's not looking to punish you. In Luke 19, 10, again, what did he say? He came to seek and to save. The shepherd and his lost sheep, he left to go search the one that was lost. The father lost his son, but he didn't go off looking for him, but he never stopped searching. Today, God sits on the porch of your life waiting for you to come back home. Number four, God welcomes you. God welcomes you. We we see that here. This kid wasted his money in party living. This guy ran off and was sleeping and, 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 and eating with pigs. And finally, he comes to his senses. He practices and rehearses what I'm going to say to dad. He begins his journey home. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. Dad says, welcome home. Why on earth do you think we say welcome home around here so much? It's, it's not a slogan. It is a picture of a God who says, I don't care how you came today, welcome home. For those of you that freak out that when people come to church, they wore shorts and flip-flops, it's because we said, God said, I'm going to take you. I don't care what you wore today, welcome home. For those of you who, who came and you don't look like, like churchy kind of folks, you know, God said, welcome home. If you came and your life is a total disaster, we just say what God said, welcome home. He welcomes us. Would you believe that's the way God would receive you if you came home to him today? Number four, he celebrates your return. Notice that Jesus said, God celebrates when we come home to him. In verse 7, he said, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't. In verse 10, I tell you in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. In the story of the lost son, the dad says, let's celebrate with a feast. So they celebrated. You know what God will do when you decide to come home? He's going to throw a party to celebrate you. You say, well, how do I do that, Chuck? Well, it's this simple. Number one, admit, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Number two, believe Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for the sins you deserve to pay for, but he paid for them for you. And number three, confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. Be the boss of my life. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you, not me anymore. Admit I need you, Jesus, I need you. Believe Jesus died for you, gave his life for you, rose from the dead for you. Confess Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will hear and save you. Come home. You know, I I think the risk found here is can you admit your need? 
I think the risk involved here in Luke's Gospel 15 is can you not just admit it, but can you believe that Jesus would actually do that for you? And the risk is can, can you confess and say Jesus is Lord? Because see, I stood there a week ago at Golgotha where that cross hung. I walked that 50 yards back over and I saw that tomb that was empty. I sat there with our folks and we celebrated his shed blood and his broken body. Could I tell you, that same God opened up his arms to me and he will open them up to you and say, welcome home, my child. I love you. Amazing grace that fell and chains were broken. Father, today, I pray we'd recognize your goodness, your love, your mercy, your grace. That mercy and grace would fall on us. God, we love you. There are people in this room that tonight, this day, need to say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord, my Savior. And they need to call, admit, believe, and confess. And there are folks in this room who, frankly, they've done that, but their life sure doesn't show it. They need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm moving forward in my life and I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to come home. I'm going to let him run to me and put a robe around me and put sandals on my feet and food in my belly and a ring on my finger. And he's going to call me my child. So today we thank you for your amazing grace. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord.